In our gospel reading this morning, we continue with the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 through 41. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able to soon afterwards to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. May the Lord bless the reading of this living word and may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When you start spending a lot of time with toddlers, you realize how much you take for granted as a big kid or as a teenager or as an adult. They question everything. Their insatiable, unfiltered curiosity forces you to explain things that you thought were obvious. A few years ago, we were reading a story about Curious George with my son Judah, and he asked, what happened to his legs? The illustrator had drawn the man in the yellow hat sitting in a convertible with his legs out of sight, and that greatly distressed Judah. It's all a matter of perspective, I said. What perspective mean? Dad's still learning not to use such big words. Well, buddy, it means that just because you can't see something, it doesn't mean that it's not there. Hmm. That's a cute story, but I'm not sure our struggle with perspective is something we ever grow out of. Sure, when we see a photograph of someone from the waist up, we assume that they have legs even if we can't see them. But when it comes to other people, when it comes to the motives behind their actions and the intent behind their words, there is always more than we can see than through the narrow lenses of our own stories. All John and the other disciples could see was someone who was not following Jesus, at least someone who was not in their group following Jesus. In the NIV version, it's a little bit clearer. John tells Jesus, we told him to stop because he was not one of us. All John and the disciples could see was someone who they hadn't heard Jesus give authority to cast out demons doing it anyway. They wanted to make sure this stranger they didn't know wasn't misrepresenting Jesus or corrupting his message. They were skeptical of his motives. Was he healing in Jesus' name truly on Jesus' behalf, or was it some kind of hustle? Was he gaining something selfishly by doing this? They were loyal to their teacher, and they wanted to protect his reputation and wanted to protect this ministry they were sharing together. The disciples probably had really good motives. It probably wasn't 
closed-mindedness or bigotry that caused them to resist this man, but their desire to be faithful to Jesus. But there was probably something else limiting their perspective. You see, just a few verses earlier in 918, if you go back, you'll see that another man had just come to Jesus with a son who was demon-possessed, and he said, I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. The disciples see a stranger doing something they can't do, even though they're in Jesus' inner circle, and they don't like it. For all their good reasons of being skeptical of the stranger, it seems that John and the other disciples were jealous. And their desire to be the ones that healed, their desire for their group to get the credit, prevented them from seeing the power of God working in someone who was not one of them. Jesus said, For no one who does a deed of power in my name will soon afterward be able to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. Jesus was saying to them, The good news of God's love is bigger than you. It is bigger than your understanding. It is bigger than your group. Even this group of 12 that I am leading myself, it's bigger even than the tribe of Israel. You're not the only ones that God is for. For God so loved the world that he is giving me and I am giving my full self to everyone, all people. And that means that you are not the only ones for me. There are many who don't look like you, who don't think like you, who don't worship like you, who are calling on my name too. Just because you don't see them walking with you doesn't mean they aren't walking with me. And there are others out there who can and will be for you if you will trust me and if you will trust them. As long as you keep drawing this circle so small and thinking that anyone outside of it is against you, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on an opportunity for those you think of as strangers and enemies to be sisters and brothers. And you're going to miss out on the breadth and the beauty and the height and depth of God's love that will draw all people to me. Like those disciples, our perspective of other people is also framed by good and faithful motives, but also limited by our desire to be great and our desire to be right and our desire to get the credit and for our group to be great and right and get the credit. But Jesus comes to help us see the bigger picture. Jesus comes to at least help us to be a little more curious so that we can imagine that there is indeed more good to others than we can see. To imagine that Jesus loves them too and that they are trying just as hard to love Jesus and their neighbors as we are. I don't know about you, but I am so tired of being against others and I'm so tired of feeling like others are against me. 
And I'm tired of believing the lie that there is what it, it is what it is and that we can't do anything about it. Jesus wants to deliver us from this evil of being against each other. Not from expressing moral concern when our deep-held values are being violated. Not from expressing concern when we think things should be done differently in our church or in this world. If we're honest about these concerns, we will inevitably find ourselves in disagreement with each other. But as uncomfortable as that is, it's healthy. Jesus is not against that. What Jesus is against is letting our jealousy, us letting our jealousy, our hunger for significance, our quest for further glory for our preferred group, prevent us from seeing or at least imagining that God's good can be found in those who aren't one of us. Because if we can't see or imagine that, then our view of God's love is small and weak and not good news at all. Frederick C. Grant, a New Testament scholar at Union Theological Seminary, wrote these words, not in 2021, but in 1951. Do not look for labels. Look for actions, attitudes, spirit. When that in which Jesus rejoiced, mercy, justice, integrity, reverence, faith appears, welcome it. Do not meet it with sour, skeptical antagonism. Meet it as he did. Jesus said to a Roman, a pagan according to Jewish standards of disdain, I have not found so great faith, no, not in all of Israel. It's true that we cannot help but see labels, but with a little bit of Jesus' perspective, we can learn to look beyond the labels and see persons for who they really are. With a little Jesus' perspective, we can shift our focus from labels to actions, attitudes, and the spirit that we see in each other. We can learn to see Jesus in each other if we zoom out and look wider and deeper at the people and the lives that we have cropped without even knowing it. So I want to do a little exercise with you today. I want you to think about someone that you're against or someone that you maybe think is against you. Now, don't pick a politician or somebody that you just know from TV or the Internet. I want you to think about someone at school or at work or someone in your family or someone in this church. Can you look beyond the difference that you have with them? Can you look beyond what they have said or done to you? It might not be possible. Some people have hurt us very deeply. And if that's the case, if this is triggering some sort of trauma, then pick somebody else. As you try to think about this person, imagine the possibility that what you have against them or what they have against you is not the whole picture, is not the most important part of the picture. Try to zoom out and see more. Can you see something else that is really good? Something like mercy or justice, integrity, 
reverence, or faith? Can you see something that looks like Jesus in them? Something that you can be for in their lives. Maybe something that the two of you can be for together. If the answer is yes, what if you chose to focus on that? What if you chose to think about what you are for in them rather than what you are against in them when you think about them or when you see them? What if you chose to shoot them a text or write them a card and say, hey, I see this awesome thing that you're doing. I see this Jesus thing that you're doing, and I want to celebrate that. Thank you. Well done. Keep it up. Good job. You'll find the words to use. If the answer is no, as you think about this person, if you can't see beyond what you're against, then I want to push you a little bit on that. Maybe, as Pastor Jennifer said, that you don't know them well enough. The person you see on Facebook is not the whole person or the real person. Now, my friends, I have to say, we aren't doing ourselves any favors by some of the stuff we put on Facebook. If you're always posting about politics, even if it's positive, even if it's just about the ideas or the persons that you want to celebrate and not about who you're against, unfortunately, in our polarized environment, this prepossesses other people to think badly of you. I'm sorry, it's not fair, but it is what it is. And it's even worse if you're always posing attacks or making fun of people or making fun of ideas that you think are against you. What if you took a month off of Facebook posting about politics or anything negative? How do you think you would feel? What would your relationships be like? If you're having a hard time seeing something you can be for in another person, I challenge you to sit with them on Wednesday night in the fellowship hall. Or come to Sunday school so you can sit across from them and read the Bible together and pray together. Or invite them for lunch or coffee. Ask them how their semester is going or how their kids or grandkids are doing. Or if you can't think of anything else, talk about their sports team or whatever Netflix show you're binging. It has to start somewhere, even if it seems small. If you want to go deeper, ask them, where did you grow up and what was that like? Or what did you learn from your parents that is important to you? Or what, what are you most excited about right now and why? Or what are you most concerned about right now and why? The whys are so, so important. I guarantee that somewhere in that conversation that you will find some common ground. You will find something you can celebrate in their life. You will find something you can be for, and you might just find Jesus. I'll take it another step further. I challenge you to find something in this person that you can be for with them. It could be as simple as we're both for the Tar Heels, so let's watch that football game together, though the Tar Heels weren't much to watch last night. Or we're both for this soccer team that our kids play on. Let's team up and we'll do practice together this week. Or we're both for walking. Let's meet up and walk together. Or we're both for helping others. Can I join you at God's storehouse when you go to volunteer on Tuesday? Or 
I'm going to help with that roof project with Habitat. Why don't you come on with me on October 9th? Or it could be we both love this church. Let's work for ways together to make it stronger and more open and more welcoming and more loving. In these ways, you can be growing in friendship, for growing in friendship, in these ways you can be for your children, in this way, these ways you can be for your neighbor or for your church, you can be for Jesus together. Now you might be thinking, preacher, isn't it going to be super awkward when I start getting all these calls or texts from other people or I start inviting people to do things that I don't normally talk to or I think might think differently than I do? And yes, I think it will be. But so what? Anything worth doing in life, anything worth letting God do in us is worth a little bit of awkwardness. If you can push through that, I believe that you might be surprised by what God can do over lunch or coffee or on a walk or in a service project or in a text or a simple note of encouragement. You might be surprised at how much you start feeling for this person you thought you were against and how much you feel them being for you. And in all of that, you might be surprised most of all by the Christ you see more clearly for you in that one you used to think was against you. My friends, none of these suggestions are going to end all of our conflicts or solve all of our problems, but they might give us a deeper and wider and more zoomed out view of Jesus. They might allow us to see Jesus who in his life brought people together that should have been against each other, like working class fishermen and elite Pharisees and revolutionary zealots that wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire and Roman soldiers and men and women and rich and poor and the righteous and the sinners. It might help us see Jesus a little more clearly who made reconciliation possible once and for all as he forgave those who were against him on the cross. We might see Jesus more clearly who in his resurrection power unleashed the Holy Spirit on this pale blue dot that we call the earth, pushing the early church to believe what Paul said in Galatians 3.28. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. All of you all of us are one in Christ Jesus. This can only be true because of the question Paul, the answer to the question that Paul asked in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, then who can be against us? The answer is no one. Because Christ is for me, and for you, and for you, and for you, and for all of us. Thanks be to God.